0: The Legal Toolkit with Jared Korea, With guest Matt McClellan, a round of What Would Florida Man Do? Summer Edition. And then, to follow Margaret Atwood, let's get some more celebrities. Maybe Steven Spielberg, Walt Whitman, and Darth Vader. Why not? But first, your host, Jared Korea.
1: Yes, it's time to open up the Legal Toolkit, everybody. Stand back this could be dangerous. And yes, it's still called Legal Toolkit Podcast, even though I've never even held a ball and glass cutter. Now, I have used a rectangle and glass cutter, but that's another story for another time. As always, I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Oprah Winfrey was unavailable, probably because she's rich as fuck and has much better things to do. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys and bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads and conversational document assembly tools so law firms can build documents faster and more accurately. You can find out more about Gideon at gideonlegal.com. Now, before we get to our interview today, with Matt McClellan, co-founder of Milestones, a new legal tech company, offering a new sort of client portal. I want to talk about a couple old legal tech companies getting together, not in the biblical sense. Don't get too excited. You will have heard, probably, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, that AffiniPay, which is a parent company of an organization you might have heard of, LawPay, acquired my case the case management software company. LawPay is one of the parts of, of Finapay. They also have segments of their business that deal with CPAs. There's a product called CPA Pay, for example, etc. This is a big deal in legal tech. Maybe the biggest deal that has come out of the crazy vortex of legal tech spending and acquisitions over the last three years, really ever since the pandemic started when everything blew up, LawPay has been around forever way longer than my case. LAPE is an e-payments platform for lawyers, in case you haven't heard of it before. Most attorneys have. And I'm going to get this wrong because I'm not referring to any notes right now. That's right. All this is off the top of my head. I'm going to say lape has been around for about 20 years, maybe more. And they had probably the simplest and most brilliant marketing scheme of any legal tech company ever, they got in super early. So this is partly about timing, right? And then they partnered with like every bar association imaginable. And in those early days, they were able to sign like exclusive contracts with a lot of bar associations to the point where like law pay was to legal payments, what Google was to online search. They were interchangeable, the two names. So if you wanted to payments as a law firm, you were getting law pay. Now, over the course of time, that changed but LaPay is still super entrenched in the payments marketplace to the point where they had no meaningful competitors until very recently when companies like Headnote, LexCharge, and now Gravity Payments is in the legal space. They have something called Gravity Legal. Until then, nobody even tried to break what was functionally a monopoly that LaPay had created through their own hard work, frankly. And if you look at the case management software space, for example, tons of different case management softwares, not a lot of legal payments softwares because LawPay was so embedded in the field. So maybe think to yourself, why would LawPay do something like this? They get this great e-payments gig that's been going for forever, right? Why would they need to make a move like this? So let's go back into history a little bit again, and let's bring things forward. So Before the cloud started being used by lawyers regularly, which I'd have to say like 2013 probably, in those days when most law firms were relying on desktop software, legacy software, payments and law practice management software were separate things. You had law pay for e-payments if you were doing that. And then you had law practice management software on the other side. Two siloed systems didn't speak to each other at all. Now, as more and more law firms started to utilize the cloud, well, it made sense for them to say, hey, let me link this law practice management software, this client management tool that I have over here with this payments tool. Let's let them talk to each other. And so integrations came about. So LawPay would integrate with case management provider X so that payment information could move back and forth between those two systems. Good deal for everybody, right? Everything's now connected. You get to share information. You get to look at information in both places. Good deal. And then what happened was, in some cases, these large law practice management software companies were stuck with potentially building out a payment processing tool on top of that, basically building their own version of law pay. And to start with, they probably weren't mature enough to do that. So, what ended up happening is some of those case management software companies not only kept a law pay integration going, but they also built out their own payment systems, which were really white labeled versions of law pay. So, company X payments powered by law pay. So, what eventually ended up happening is some of these law practice management software companies smartly said, okay. We've got this payment processing software that we're using and to use it for the privilege of using it, we got to split the money we get and we're getting a smaller chunk of that when we could be. Wouldn't it be smart to build our own proprietary payment models that we could use and cut out the middleman, the middleman in this case being LaPay. Now these companies are older, they have more users, they're more mature organizations, they have a larger development team so they can start to do stuff like that now. So over the past oh, probably like five, six years, I was thinking something was going to happen with LaPay because every time a law practice management software provider builds its own proprietary payment system, LaPay loses a significant chunk of revenue. So what I thought was going to happen is that LawPay was going to continue to sell off until somebody bought them, but they turned around and did something entirely different. Instead, they acquired my case. Kudos to them. I'm a little bit surprised. So now you know why Law Pay would do this. Because there was a significant threat to the revenue from proprietary payment systems being developed by case management software. But why would my case do this? Well, the cash helps getting bought out usually make a good chunk of change. In my case I think it's been acquired like three times now in the last like ten years. So lots of money to go around in legal tech, right? And I thought this note from the press release was interesting. I'm going to read this verbatim. While the combined companies, that is uh, Affinapay in my case, will now serve some 65,000 law firms, almost half of those firms do not have a law practice management platform, Drew Armstrong said. She's the CEO of Affinapay. Further, of those customer firms that do not have LPM software, 40% want to adopt a platform, she said. Overall, only about 30% of solo and small firms have adopted any sort of LPM software. Now, far be it from me to disbelieve a press release. I think it's higher than 30% of law firms that have some law practice management solution of some kind. I don't believe that 70% of law firms are not using LPM software, but I'm happy to be proven wrong. Call me, LawPay slash my case. Now, the interesting part here is that 65,000 combined law firms Half of them, according to these numbers, are not using law practice management software. 40% want to. That's almost everybody. So if our math is correct, it's roughly 130,000 law firms as potential clients. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My case, LawPay combined, LawPay now has this pathway to execute on this large swath of attorneys and law firms that want to buy case management software. In my case, would want to do that because now they have a payment provider to access as well. So any clients who are not shared between LawPay and my case can now potentially get a little push to become my case clients. So, what does this mean for legal technology? First of all, as I said not totally surprised that this happened. Just kind of surprised in the way that it happened. I thought the route was going to be reversed, but. If you're a law practice management software, why wouldn't you want to create a proprietary payment model so you can keep all the money? makes so much sense. And honestly, this transaction is going to make it more likely that those providers who haven't done so already will do so or will have to do so. So the question there is, what's going to happen with your law pay integration for your case management software? That may go away. (laughs) And now you have to figure out something else. So the choice matrix for you is going to be Do I stick with law pay? And inevitably, at some point in the future, that means using my case. Or do I keep my current provider and use their proprietary payment system, which may not be developed yet? Interesting time for law firms. And it's funny, like every time I talk to a law firm about technology usage for legal specific software, I'm like, now anything I say could change within the span of two days or 24 hours. And I talked to several people about legal tech before this transaction went down. And my warning proved to be true. So several more questions, right? You're gonna have to make a choice as a law firm in the future. But what about the viability of standalone payment providers? If LawPay is now in the case management software business, which I think they are, given this transaction, and they're gonna be doing that rather than payment provision for newer law firms. I mean, they'll probably do it for a little while, but I don't see that happening forever. I think LawPay is firmly entrenched in the law practice management software business from this time forward. What's going to happen to all these other payment providers? Are they going to be able to hook into these case management software providers? Is there now a space for them to go in and say, hey, you don't want to work with LawPay. They own my case. Use us instead. That's if any are available. So the choice that these case management softwares now have, do I develop my own proprietary system? Do I link up with another payment provider that's not affiliated with a case management software? I don't know where that's going to go. I'm just asking questions. And then what does that mean for scale for new payment providers that are on the horizon or that are already in the space? I don't think the total addressable market is anywhere near what it was for law pay. So do those providers become smaller in scale? I think so the scale's probably shrunk significantly. So last question I have is, is there such a thing as an operating system for legal? You hear a lot of people throw this term around. Like there's one software to rule them all. One software platform that lawyers are going to choose. Whether it's Clio, whether it's the MyCase LawPay conglomerate, whether it's Filevine, I don't know. I just don't really see it. I see lawyers being fiercely independent in the choices they make. I see law firms wanting to pick a case management software and have options to use. It's going to be really interesting to see at which point companies try to force people to make a choice about what software systems to use. But the overarching analogy I often make is Microsoft 365. That can be potentially a massively effective productivity software for law firms or for any business owner. But how many people actually use all the features in Microsoft 365? And this is not necessarily an educational thing. Like, this is not that people don't know that OneNote or Microsoft Teams exists. It's just that people think that OneNote and Microsoft Teams blow compared to other tools that they can use. So as a business owner myself, as someone who talks to other lawyers quite regularly, I think that lawyers are going to continue to want to mix and match despite where the marketplace seems to be going, which is all these providers falling all over themselves to create this notion of a operating system for legal. It kind of strikes me as the holy grail that's never going to be found. But we'll see. 24 hours from now, I might be totally wrong again. Now, before we get to our discussion on client communications with Mr. Matt McClellan of Milestones, let's acquire some more knowledge from Joshua Lennon who has you for this week's edition of the Clio Legal Trends Report. Now, I should note, before Joshua begins, that Legal Toolkit sponsor Clio has also recently announced that it has achieved centaur status. What does that mean? Has Jack Newton changed into a mythical half-man, half-stallion? Nope. That term is used to designate companies that generate 100 million ARR, that's annual recurring revenue, every year. So congrats to Clio. Before this, Cleo was also designated a unicorn because they achieved a billion-dollar corporate valuation. Seriously, what's with all the horse stuff? It's just fucking weird already. What, no one wants to be a raccoon or some shit? What's wrong with raccoons? Anyway, here's Joshua.
0: What's the difference between law firms that grow their revenue versus ones that don't? Law firms with growing revenue are 37% more likely to use online payment software. I'm Joshua Lennon, Lawyer in Residence at Clio, and this is just one finding from our recent Legal Trends report. The benefits of offering electronic payment options at your firm are plenty for both you and your clients. Billing and online payment software make it easy for you to access up-to-date information on outstanding bills and follow up with clients who haven't paid. It also simplifies the payment process for in-person and remote clients, offering several quick payment methods for them to complete the transaction. To learn more about what technology is being used by successful firms, download Clio's Legal Trends Report for free at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O dot
1: com forward slash trends. All right, let's dip into some of that fry sauce. It's time to interview our guest. My guest today, as promised, is Matt McClellan, co-founder of Milestones. That wasn't a question. The company is actually called Milestones. Matt, how are you doing? I'm good, Jared. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for coming on. Remember when we talked and I said I would definitely have you on my podcast? Now it's come to fruition. We're here. We're here and we made it. Thank the gods. So, now don't go too crazy here because we're not doing product placement, but Milestones, a new legal tech company. Can you give me like the down low on what you guys do?
2: Totally, totally. Milestones is essentially like a Domino's pizza tracker, but for law firms' clients. So what we do is we automatically update the clients as to where they're at and the status of their case. And then beyond that, there's a lot of education so that they understand not only where they're at, but also what's going on in their case.
1: Oh, that's super good. Yeah, and I'm going to give out the website for Milestones before we're done here so people can stay on and check that out. So let's talk about client communications because... That's functionally what we're talking about here, keeping clients abreast of cases where they're at, educating them on next steps. Tell me, Matt, why is it that lawyers suck so hard at client
2: communications? (laughs) Great question. I wouldn't say that lawyers suck so hard at client communications. It really comes down to they're just really busy. Every attorney I talk to doesn't even have time to practice the law. And so they're always just trying to keep up with that side of things and moving cases forward and, and doing their daily legal work. That the updating clients, sadly, sometimes just falls to the side.
1: Yeah. And that's a big complaint that clients have. So it's an important thing for lawyers to do. So like when you talk to those law firms, I mean, technology is part of the solution, but like, how do you help them figure out how to break out the time to do that? Or to use something to help them do that? Or is it a combination of both those things?
2: Yeah. So, so how we start typically is we get an understanding of their current cadence, like how they typically speak and go back and forth and communicate with their clients just about every attorney has, like, the golden standard. They say, yeah, we talk to our clients every 30 days. We at least reach out every 30 days. Right. <laughs> um, or every 15 days, whatever it may be. And then usually that follows with, but we don't even do that.
1: Yeah. The the standard cadence is like nothing, right, for the most part? Or I need money from you or a yes. document.
2: Yeah, especially when you're talking about, like, you know, the transactional law stuff, It's it's a little bit quicker. But when you get into litigation, if you're doing, like, personal injury, mass tort, you know, these cases take years to settle. Right. And so oftentimes these clients are kind of just left in the dark. They get a good understanding in the beginning of what goes on, but the expectations aren't really set properly. And because of that, the client is left with so many questions. What's going on? What do I need to do? Am I missing something? Does the attorney need something from my end? Yeah. Or is the attorney not working? I'm sure plenty of attorneys get that question. I've, I've heard it where the, <laughs> the attorneys get asked, are you even working on this or did you forget about me? Right. And the reality is they didn't forget. The reality is there's just, it hasn't progressed. Things take time when you're dealing with opposing counsel, things just take time. And the the clients don't understand that.
1: Oh, for sure. And a lot of what happens in practices, especially like some of these like litigation practices, like you're talking about, like nothing happens for like nine, 12 months and clients are sitting there biting their fingernails and cl- and lawyers are just like, Hey, this is part of the process. This is how it goes. if you're a client, you're thinking, Hey, this person took a bunch of my money and they're not doing anything.
2: Absolutely. And if we take a, we use the personal injury example, it's, Mm -hmm. they know they're going to get a settlement check later, Yeah. but in the interim, they had probably one of their worst accidents they've ever had in their lives. In a lot of cases they're injured pretty seriously. Yeah. And so it's a really personal thing to them and they entrusted, you know, their attorney with, with this case. And so they trust that attorney and they want to hear from them. Um, And because of that, I think it it gets a little bit more personal on on the plaintiff's side.
1: Yeah, so let me ask you this because I think this is akin to like attorneys when I talk to them about content marketing, right? They're like, what do I say? I don't have anything interesting to say. And I think in this context, it's like a very similar thing because like if nothing's happening with the case, I think a lot of lawyers are like, what do I even tell my clients? Like we're still waiting for something to happen. So like during those fallow periods, where there's not a lot going on, what should lawyers be saying to their clients? How should they stay in communication?
2: I'll use the personal injury example probably a little bit just because that's probably 50% 50 in personal injury. Makes sense. But in personal injury, there's that long treatment phase, right? Like they're going to their doctor's appointments. They're going to the chiropractor. They're doing all that stuff, just getting well. And so oftentimes that's six, nine, 12 months, depending on the severity of the incident. And so they need to get updated. And the, the typical update we see and we kind of push our clients to do is, hey, we know you're still in treatment and getting well. Please make sure you're listening to your doctor and doing everything that you're being prescribed to do. We wanna make sure you get to full recovery. And so those, those sort of updates every 14 days, every 30 days are definitely something where you just want the client to know that you're thinking yeah. of them and that you care that they get better. You're not, you're not just another number to them, but rather they care about your well-being and they wanna get you a check at the end of this.
1: So it doesn't always have to be a question, which I think what a lot of attorneys are looking for. Like if I'm reaching out to a clients because I need something, this can also be a statement or just some notification that like, hey, we're thinking about what's going on with you. Let us know if you need anything, right?
2: Absolutely. And that sort of stuff goes a really long way as far as like the client experience.
1: I think a lot of law firms do intake, client journey, which is kind of related to what we're talking about as well client communications in a way that's easy for the law firm so they can just check a box but client expectations legal consumer expectations have changed a lot recently right and so law firms have to adjust that and they have to think about like what does my client want not just what's easy for me so how do you talk to law firms about that and how do you explain some of the changes that have happened like really pre during and post pandemic if we're post pandemic right now which I hope we are
2: yes I do too Um, (laughs) yeah so Typically, attorneys have been a little bit slower to adopt technology. Um, I've I've heard that. Yes. Speak to that. (laughs) And so, a catalyst, a huge catalyst in adoption of legal technology was the the pandemic, because all of a sudden they had to overnight turn into not a virtual law firm, but the ability to be with your coworkers and still get work done cooperatively, even though you're not in the same office space anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, that's led to a big push. And also, I think there's been a big change in the consumer over the past 10, 15 years. And I think primarily a lot of that has to do with the internet and Google. Like yeah. You can Google so much different things and you, you can get a pretty vague understanding. You don't become a lawyer from Google, but you become a little bit more attuned to what happens during the process. And so people are just a lot more used to knowing what's going on and having expectations set up front and being updated throughout the process. But that's something that legal really hasn't ever focused on. There hasn't been anything that has that emphasis
1: Yeah. So I agree that legal consumers are more interested in the legal process than they've ever been before. And if you leave them in the dark about it, that's a challenge. And that's when they start asking questions about how much work the lawyer's doing. And I think that's probably related to like relationships they have with other providers, right? Like medical providers are getting better about this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at a streaming service. You buy something like that, you get tons of notifications. The value proposition is easy. And this is about lawyers really modernizing their client communications more than anything else, right? Absolutely. And there's so much more technology
2: now to make this communication seamless. Last plug for Milestones is we connect to their case management software, the the attorney's case management or whatever they're using to manage the cases. And then as the case progresses, say, into a new phase or into a new part of the process, Milestones recognizes that change and just sends that automatic update to the client saying there's been an update in your case.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. That's a good point that you're making there. It's like the automatic nature of it. Because I think when a lot of attorneys think about like how they're going to communicate with their clients, they don't want to do it because it's another manual touch point for them. I got to pick up the phone and call somebody or I got to send an email. Talk a little bit about the technology and how that works in terms of automation these days. And feel free to speak about technology generally as well.
2: Yeah. Well, for instance, case management has been really widely adopted over the past really the covid kicked it off but there were definitely early adopters as early as you know 2010 when yeah. when they were yeah, really Yeah, 2008 getting, even way yeah. back then and especially with the cloud based abilities for integrations and for technology to be able to speak to other pieces of software it allows for something like you know the data held within your case management software like for instance the client's information the phase that they're in in that case what type mm-hmm. of case it is that can be extracted really simply into another software. And, you know, we use it to push those automatic notifications, but there's a lot of other really cool use cases for those connection points or those APIs that are built into the more modern case management software.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the workflow and the automatic notifications are one piece of this. Where do you see like the technology evolving next? I think as everything becomes
2: more and more cloud-based, there's going to be really, really robust integrations. In the past, it's been you know, one system to kind of rule them all, and, yeah. which is great, but that's what, that's what they've pushed for. But now more modern software is realizing, hey, we do this portion of it really, really well. Why don't we instead integrate with a really good partner who can do this piece really well? Say, say one's really good at case management and the other's really good at billing. You want to combine those. And the best way to do it is usually through an integration right now. There's really not that one size fits all software for these attorneys. It's, hey, find these pieces that work well together, that don't complicate your day to day workflow, that you can just do your daily workflow out of your case management system and everything else connects and works yeah. together in like a seamless ecosystem.
1: I, I think the integration is the way to go. I don't see this being like a one single solution for every law firm. I think that's a pipe dream. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting in terms of like where you see the technology going and the integrations. I think that makes a ton of sense. One other question I have for you and that I know attorneys have had is like, so if you're automating notifications to clients, if you have workflows and reminders for tasks, what do you do with your staff? Like, do you get rid of your staff? Do you upskill your staff? Because a lot of law firms employ people to do this, like to follow up with clients, schedule appointments. How do you respond to that when people talk to you about that?
2: Well, with the current employment situation, most people are like, "Oh, I can," you know, (laughs) "I don't have to rehire." (laughs) Um, Employment's, you know, it's hard to find a good employee, and so when a software can automate some of those more menial tasks that you typically would need a an employee to take care of, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of attorneys actually light up. But I'll speak a little bit more into like the ones that you're needing to progress actual legal work. Because there's a lot of those, you know, those paralegals and those legal assistants, their time is better spent progressing a case or progressing a matter to the next stages. And so when their time is getting muddied up by an email asking for an update, or they're getting phone calls constantly asking, literally just for the redundant question of, where's my case at in the process? Yeah. Those legal assistants, those paralegals, they can do more volume. And they're actually happier too. They don't like the irate customers who, or the clients that don't, know what's going on in their case. They want all the clients to be happy and just appeased, (laughs) um, essentially. Oh, for sure. It's not enough just to keep clients updated, but they actually want to understand what's going on. And so that education becomes almost more important than the update itself, because an update can often cause more questions to arise. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot. I got one question left for you. Oh, please. And you're not not allowed to answer, get a client portal. What's your (laughs) best communication tip for lawyers?
2: Yeah. So lawyers need to build out a cadence and stick to it. And if they're the ones who are managing that project, it often won't get done. And so my biggest piece of advice is you need to you need to delegate that piece of it. Mm-hmm. If client communication is something that's important to you and your firm, which I believe it should be in every firm, you're going to get better reviews, you're going to have happier clients, you're going to get more return clients, you're going to get more referrals, all that stuff's going to improve with a better client experience. And so if you really take that seriously, recognize that you're probably not gonna be the one to make sure it gets done and delegate that to somebody who you know is gonna be responsible and make sure that it gets done because that's gonna pay dividends in the long-term.
1: Systems, delegation, I love it. All right, everybody, we'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice and stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Contract automation isn't a trend it's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuSign is an easy-to-onboard full suite of products and includes the e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuSign doesn't automate, their customer service. Visit get.docubee.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. Docubee will be with you every step of the way. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters, so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are at the rear end of the legal toolkit. We call it the Rump Roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host. Today, we're going to bring back one of my favorite games What Would Florida Man Do? Only this time we have a new twist. This is What Would Florida Man Do? summer edition we've got some crimes with a summer twist sun's out guns out everybody so matt the way this works is that i will read off something that a deranged individual has done usually but not always a crime and all i need you to do is to identify whether this was a florida man or not super simple game easy to do are you ready to go sir
2: sounds exciting i'm super ready
1: all right good let's start with number one A man was caught on camera trying to evade arrest by cartwheeling away from the police. The now viral footage shows the gymnastics enthusiast blocking the path of a truck at a gas station by doing flips in the middle of the roadway. Officers took him down for apparently blocking traffic, but the man was about to wiggle out of their grasp. He then launched into a cartwheel, but didn't get very far. The sheriff's office identified the spry 40-year-old as Gianfranco Fernandez. He was charged with battery on law enforcement and resisting arrest. Matt, is the cartwheeling criminal a Florida man?
2: That's a Florida man if I've ever heard of one.
1: Yes. What was your best clue? The cartwheeling? Simply that?
2: It, it was the cartwheeling. And I just, I just felt that there were alligators close by.
1: Oh, yeah. There probably were. So this reminds me of a friend I had in college who, like, he would tell me the story of high school gym class. He determined that, like, skipping was the fastest way to get around. So he would be playing, like, wiffle ball or basketball, and he would be skipping up and down the core. Really weird. And he thought he was faster.
2: I don't, don't think, think he, he was. was. Yeah. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Alan, if you're listening, you skipped very slowly, and you should have just ran.
2: <laughs>
1: All right, you ready for number two? I'm ready. This is a good one, because this is a lawyer. A lawyer dressed as a horror movie character on a beach said his eccentric actions were just a prank to make people smile. But it also led to the arrest of Mark Metzger, the attorney some people saw roaming a local beach, in a Michael Myers costume. He was cited for disorderly conduct and released by police. Police received a call Monday about a masked man holding what appeared to be a bloody knife while walking on the beach ahead of a tropical storm. Officers found Metzger dressed as a serial killer from the Halloween movies and put him in handcuffs before determining the blood and knife were fake, the newspaper said. Metzger, this is how you know this guy's a lawyer, said in a Facebook post Monday night he was still fuzzy on what exactly was illegal. Bringing positive vibes to the gloom and doom out there, generating some laughter, helping people crack a smile and restoring our faith in humanity through humor is 100% what I'm about. I guess that leaves a little time to practice law, right? It's all I've been about my entire life. My methods might not work for everyone, but I guarantee I'll please more than I'll piss off. He compared his arrest to a scene out of another popular franchise, this one a little more kid-friendly. It felt like a scene out of Scooby-Doo after they handcuffed me and pulled the mask off. Like, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling Karens, he told the television station. First of all, (laughs) what do we think of this asshole? (laughs) I don't think this was a Karen situation. I think that this was actually a frightening individual walking on a beach at dusk. I'm
2: I I just this man is a Florida man if I've ever heard of one.
1: All right, I'm gonna have to disappoint you. This is a Texas man. Oh dang, Galveston Beach.
2: I thought Beach and Tropical Storm.
1: I know, you know I know. I'm from California. We there. don't we
2: don't have those at the beach in California, so I figured <laughs> it had to be Florida.
1: You were close. You're certainly closer than California, but these seem like typical comments for a lawyer. This guy's probably a listener, so. Mark, if you're out there listening, please continue to listen to the show and do something else stupid and we can make fun of you. All right. Number three, a 59-year-old man donned some very unusual beachwear, displaying something you don't see or want to see every day. Police said Stephen Wojciechowski spent two days on the island wearing a bikini made out of plastic wrap exposing his genitals. The man was charged with lewdness. Wojciechowski was arrested Monday and released pending further court proceedings. A woman who answered the phone at his house said nobody was home and hung up. Surprise, surprise. 59-year-old man, plastic wrap bikini. I don't know if we're talking like bikini tops and bottoms or what, but like, is this a Florida man?
2: Jared, I might have a bias towards Florida, but I do think that this sounds like someone from Florida.
1: All right. This is not a Florida man.
2: Wow, I'm off.
1: New Jersey, New Jersey.
2: I could be a New Jersey person, too. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, totally. Like, if you've been to New Jersey, I could totally see somebody doing this. So <laughs> Saran Wrap Bikini. I suppose works well for your tan, but not so much for your arrest record. All right. I get two more for you. You ready to continue on? Absolutely. All right. Leaders of a business masquerading as a church sold a toxic bleach solution as a religious sacrament and marketed it as a miracle cure for COVID-19, cancer, autism, Alzheimer's disease, and more, federal prosecutors said. This sounds like an infomercial. A federal grand jury indicted Mark Grennan and his sons. Prosecutors said on Friday that they violated corridors and fraudulently produced and sold more than $1 million of their mineral, Miracle Solution, a dangerous industrial bleach solution. The solution contains sodium chloride and water. When it's ingested orally, it becomes chlorine dioxide, a strong bleach used in industrial water treatments and in bleaching textiles, pulp, or paper. I just want to clear up, this is not one of the COVID solutions that Donald Trump was peddling several years ago. Great. Now, is this, like Donald Trump, another Florida man? Or someone from another state. This is a Florida man
2: because of math. I think this should just be a Florida answer.
1: (laughs) Yes. Because of math. I like it. (laughs) We haven't had some Florida answers in a while. Yes. this (laughs) This is a Florida man. In fact... Some of the shit that people were taking for COVID is just, like, unbelievable. And yeah. the, the thing I think that is crazy is that they made a million bucks off of this to get people to drink bleach. <laughs> Did they it's really? It's insane. Yeah, yeah. N- now, I'm kind of throwing off your math because we've got two Florida men and two non-Florida men. So, we've got one more question. So, let's see if we can figure out the way I'm going to go here. Great. A man with an apparent tattoo of a machete on his face was arrested for allegedly attacking someone with... Wait for it. A machete over the weekend, authorities said. Justin Couch, 25, is accused of slicing the victim's forearm with the blade, leaving him unable to move his left hand. The victim, an adult man, said the incident started Monday when Couch began arguing with him for no reason, I'm sure of that, and kicked him out of his home. When the victim asked if he could grab his wallet and cell phone before leaving, Couch allegedly told him, there's nothing for you here, I guess, except for this machete. Perhaps one of the most ironic crimes ever. The guy gets the machete tattoo then attacks someone with a machete and apparently is out there feeling like he's not gonna get caught so who is this nobel prize winner florida man or a man from another state i don't want to make any enemies here
2: but i believe it's new mexico oh i love it why why i gotta know Oh, I don't know. All our elaborate. New Mexico
1: listeners, can you, can you give a, I want to make sure we get your email. So the New Mexico listeners can send you an email.
2: <laughs> it, it just, it just felt like it. You know, sometimes you have the, the feeling and it felt like it. So we'll see if I'm
1: right. Interesting. Uh, you are wrong. <laughs> it's Florida, isn't it? This is a Florida man. Yes. The math has it. 60% Florida, 40% non-Florida. Okay. And I may do that every time. I'm not even sure.
2: Hey, that wasn't bad though.
1: <laughs> You were a trooper.
2: Okay. Perfect. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Matt, you did a great job on the rump roast. Thanks for coming in. Hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Appreciate
2: it, Jared. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thanks, man. Take it easy. If you want to find out more about Matt McClellan and Milestones, visit getmilestones.com. That's G E T M I L E. S-T-O-N-E-S dot com. Get Now, for those of you listening in Eggnog, Utah, I have a great playlist on Spotify for you. Since we talked about Florida Man's summer plans, I've got songs for the summer. Put that shit on repeat. Unfortunately, we've run out of time to interview our next celebrity guest. Matt Damon is here, but Matt Damon fucking sucks. So we're gonna move on. And that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast. This is Jared Korea, reminding you that those little plastic or metal tips at the end of your shoelaces are called aglets.